This psalm is so precious to me. 17 years ago, on this very day, June 3rd, I was up watching the well drillers drill a well on a house that we were building up there in Vitavu, and there was just turmoil going on. We call it in the history of our church, the time of the quickly chosen elders. The, this last week we had a, uh, I had a class, pastoral theology, with our seminary students, and somebody asked the questions, how did you let that happen? I said, that's a really good question. So we kind of went back and went through some of the timing and how that happened, and some men who were older Christians came from other churches, and somehow, next thing you know, they were all leading the church, and they decided that I wasn't an elder of all people. I wasn't an elder. And you know, like David, I think because we've been through things before and because to me the local church is so precious, I didn't fight him on that. But I was up there on that mountain watching the drill that well. And as my habit was, praying through the Psalms. And that morning it was Psalm 3. And David says, Oh Lord, how my adversaries have increased and how they're increasing. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying about my soul, there's no deliverance from God for him. God's not going to help him. But you, O oh Lord, you're a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. And that day, I knew that from uh, things that I'd heard, that they were actively kind of looking for somebody else to take my place. And I had to recognize this is God's church, not mine. But all I could do, and you know, God takes us to those places in our life. We've got no place else to go. And you know, folks, that's the very best place to be. Where you just say, Lord, you're all I've got. You're my protection. Lord, you're my glory. I've seen that before, how you've taken care of me. Like Peter, when everybody else didn't understand what Jesus was talking about when he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you won't be part of me. And everybody went away and Jesus looked at his disciples and said, are you going to go away too? And Peter said, where are we going to go? He didn't understand what Jesus had just said, but he said, where are we going to go? You're our life. You're eternal life. You're our glory. And thirdly, the one who lifts my head. And I just prayed simply. Lord, I don't know what's going on, but I need you to lift my head today. And many times God doesn't answer that right away like that, does he? And there was no audible voice, but he spoke to my heart and he asked me three questions. Number one, have these fellows said you couldn't preach the gospel anymore? And I said, nope. Are people still responding to the gospel? And I thought, yes. And the third one was probably me. So what are you whining about? And I'll tell you, I physically got a chill up my spine and tears in my eyes. My heart was overwhelmed because God answered me. David said, I, I called to God with my voice. I cried out with my voice. Have you ever been in a place that you just, you just don't even know what to do and there's nothing else, nobody, everybody's forsaken. It just seems like you're all by yourself. You say, Lord, you have to help me. 
that's the very best place to be. Because he's finally got all the distractions, all of your backup backup plans, everything else that you think you can get done. He's gotten that all the way. Now you got clear focus. David said, and he answered me from his holy mountain. Now what's the background on this? Why does David feel like everybody's against him? Because they are. They are. He's losing the nation. He has a son named Absalom who has caused rebellion and as many people are following after him. And a lot of it, the reason that he can get that following is because he's such a stellar young man. He's beautiful. He's big. He's strong. He has a lot of wisdom. He's the son of a king on both sides. His mother is the daughter of a king and David is his father. But David did this himself. You go clear back to 2 Samuel chapter 11. You have to turn there, but you can study it out later. It's an amazing story how David was supposed to be out at war. It was the time for kings to go to war, but he decided he'd just stay home. And he couldn't sleep that night, and Satan was at work. And he gets up, and he walks on the roof of his house, and he sees a woman naked bathing. And he says, I think I'll have her. Now, he had plenty of his own wives. He had concubines. But you know, the flesh is never satisfied. Never think you get to the place in your Christian life that you won't be tempted and that sin won't be a problem. The old gospel song says, the arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. So he asked about this woman, well, who's that? And somebody warned him. Somebody said, hey, that's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Who is that? That was one of David's mighty men, one of his very best warriors, someone that was a friend to David when he was being chased by Saul. But he said, well, I think we can handle this sin. It's just one night. So he brought her in. He slept with her, sent her back home. And the armies are still off at war. Her husband's still gone. And she sends word to the king, I'm with child. David says, not a problem, I'm the king, I'll handle this. So he very slickly calls for Uriah to be sent back home. And Uriah, like an obedient soldier, comes home. Now, he may have heard what's going on because Uriah's father-in-law also worked in the palace. So it's possible he said, hey, this is what's going on. We don't know. But he came home and David said, now listen, just go enjoy yourself with your wife, give you a little break, and then I'm going to send you back with a message. But he wouldn't do that. He slept with the servants in David's palace in the servants' quarters. David brought him in the next day. He said, hey, listen, I know you're working hard. You're, you're fighting hard out there. Why don't you go home to your wife? And so he got him drunk, thinking if he was drunk, he'd go home, and then David could cover his sin. But even in his drunken state, Uriah was a man of amazing character. He would not go home. He said, I can't go home when my soldiers are laying out there in the field. I won't do it. So David basically sends his own death warrant with Uriah. He signs a note to Joab the general, and he said, listen, when he gets in the heat of the battle, you withdraw and he'll be killed. And so later Joab sends the message back with a report of those that have been killed. And he said, ah, it's really sad, but Uriah got killed. And David sends a message back to Joab. Well, that's the way fighting goes, doesn't it? It's all taken care of. It's all quiet. 
But God sees every one of our sins. He knows the secret things. He knows the things you've done in the darkness. And especially the king that God has placed over his people. God sends his prophet. And the prophet shares that little story. He said there was a very wealthy man that had flocks and cattle. And a friend came to visit him. And there was a poor man that lived next to him. Instead of getting one of his, he went and stole the little lamb that lived with the family. It's all they had of their possessions. And he ripped that out of their hands. And he sacrificed that lamb. And he fed his rich friend. Oh, David's sense of indignation was just riled. And he said, that man deserves to die and he'll repay four times. And Nathan put his finger up and he said, you're the man. God gave you Saul's kingdom. He gave you Saul's family. He gave you the possessions of his nation. He's given you everything. He's given you wives and horses and an army and wealth. You did this to your friend. David said, yes, I did. David's called a man after God's own heart, not because he was perfect, because he was not, but because his heart was tender. When convicted, he confessed his sin. And in Romans 4, where we see that great teaching on salvation, David is quoted, and the quotation is, how blessed is the man whom the Lord does not count his iniquity against him, whose sin is taken away. And Nathan said, your sin's forgiven. But because you're the king and sin has consequences, the sword will not depart from your house. You'll see immorality in your house. And the child that's born of this relationship will die. And shortly after that, the child died. Now, David knew the word of the Lord. And I think there may have been a sense if you'd had a prophecy about you, you'd be thinking, well... Here it comes. When's it going to come? Some years later, because he has multiple families, yeah, I should say multiple families by multiple wives, his firstborn son, Amnon, sees the daughter, his half-sister of another wife, and he, he just is just so overtaken with passion. He just can't stand not to have her. It's his sister. A little weird, right? And so he's got a cousin that's just wicked. He said, listen, here's what we'll do. You just tell the king or pretend like you're sick and then tell the king, if you just could have your sister come and just, just make you some food with her own hands, she's so special, she could feed it to you and you'd feel better. And I don't know what David's thinking. Too much king business, I guess, and he goes along with it. And so Tamar, his half-sister, comes over and innocently begins to make him some food. He sends everybody out, and he grabs her by his wrist and says, you're going to sleep with me. And she says, listen, don't do this thing. You're going to look like one of the fools in Israel. This is not done. Or just take the time and ask my father. He won't keep anything back from you, but he doesn't listen. He forces her, and he, he lays with her. Then the Bible says his hatred for her is greater than the passion he had for her, so he sends her out of there, and she goes away crying, and she tears her virgin's garment on her sleeves and goes and tells her big brother Absalom and big brother says I don't think dad's going to deal with this because I've seen the way he does and so I'll tell you what you just be quiet I'm going to take care of you you're going to live with me he loves Tamar so much he even names one of his own daughters after his sister 
So she lives with Absalom, and Absalom just lets time go by. He's a wise young man. He just lets it all settle down. And one day he asked David, he said, Dad, I just, I just think our brothers, we just have a great party together. I'd like to invite all my brothers down, all the king's sons. You just keep us together, you know, and, and we're going to get a field down here. They're doing some harvesting. We're just going to have a celebration. I want everybody to come. King says, sounds like a good idea. He left enough time to go by, but his bitter spirit was not changed. And he told his servants, as soon as we get down there, you get Amnon and you kill him. And that's what they did. Well, then everybody jumped on their horse and drove off in all directions. And the word got back to the king that Absalom had killed all the sons. That's not true. And I think what's interesting to kind of take out of this is that I believe David repented and he experienced that grace of God. And I, and I believe throughout this whole trial, he was heartbroken because he knew this is just God's word coming true. Well, Absalom runs off to his, his grandfather, Gershom, who's a king in another country, and he hides there for a while, and Joab says, listen, you need to bring him back. At some point, there needs to be restitution. So David does it part way. He brings him home, but he said, don't let the young man see my face. He doesn't, he doesn't bring it all the way. David's been forgiven, but he doesn't quite finish that. So Absalom comes back, and he is a good-looking guy. He's a beautiful young man, and he's strong. He has this gorgeous hair that they would cut every year and they'd weigh it because it's beautiful hair. And so he let it grow. Just, just a good-looking guy and a lot of wisdom. And so he would sit at the gate and the people would come and say, listen, dad's got a lot to do, but listen, I can hear your complaint. He would give justice. And so he stole the heart of the people away from the king. Now, David wasn't bothered with this because he loved his son so much. He loved him. But then one day... He said, listen, I'm going to go down and worship in the special place I have, Dad. And so he went and went down there, and then he gathered an army. And the servants of David heard it, and they said, we've got to get out of town because he's going to kill you and wreak havoc. And so they gathered everything up, and they left Jerusalem. The Bible says there that David walked barefoot as he left Jerusalem weeping. Was he weeping because he was losing his kingship? I think he was weeping because in his own heart of hearts, he knew he did this and he loved his son. Brokenhearted, he leaves. God works out the details, but I think this psalm takes place the morning after they escape. And David had said, everybody says God's not gonna help me. Why? Because listen, if there had been a Sean Hannity Stein or a Rush Limbaugh Stein in those days with, you know, given radio and the pundits and all, they probably said, listen, this guy's got this coming. By the law, by the word of God, he should have been removed from office a long time ago, but this, this is God's grace in David's life. And so I think a lot of the people were, well, hey, listen, here's this guy. He did the righteous thing by getting rid of a rapist, first of all, and he's tired of the king just not doing his job, and, you know, I think he'd be a better king. And so the people just begin to move towards this rebellious son. And so Absalom begins to lead, and I think David probably goes to sleep, praying, many are rising up against me. 
Many are saying of my, of my soul, God is not going to deliver him. He's getting what he deserves. Have you ever been in that place? And even though you might say, Lord, how come I'm getting this? You know. You know. You're getting what you deserve. But I want to tell you something. He has to remind himself, God's not like that. He says, God, you're my only protection. You're my glory. So he said, I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. Listen, friends, as we as elders teach, our desire is not just we give you information, but that you walk with God and you hear from God yourself. Because when you hear from God yourself, when you see God working in your life, you experiencing God yourself, your own personal relationship, it's an amazing thing to know that he's your shepherd. He said, I went to sleep and I awoke because God sustained me. An amazing thing. An old friend, he played football here at the university. The first year I, I came here, Walt Goffigan. When I talked to Walt so many times, he'd say, well, you know, pastor, I'm just so thankful God woke me up this morning. You think, well, what kind of thank? That's what David said. I lay down and God gave me sleep. Psalm 127, God gives to his beloved even in their sleep. He that watches over Israel, he that cares for your soul, he never slumbers or sleep. He's always alert to your cries. I cried to the Lord and he answered me. Now, the prophets of Baal, remember when Samuel had that contest with the prophets of Baal in the Old Testament? They were kind of taken over and they were wicked. And they were leading the people astray. And so God, God told Samuel, you go have a contest with them. You both put a sacrifice out there. And he gave the prophets of Baal all day long. And so they cried to Baal. Baal, show us and consume the sacrifice. And so they cried and they cut themselves. And after a while, Samuel would just go out there and say, you know, maybe, maybe your God's going to the bathroom. He's covering his feet. You know, maybe, maybe you should cry a little louder. You know, maybe he went on vacation. You guys mocked him a little bit because he knew nothing was going to happen. You can be serious about religion. You can pray to your God. But if you don't have the only creator God as your savior, no one's going to answer. David said he answered me. And he's reminded. He said, I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people who have set themselves against me roundabout. How come? Because he'd experienced God's blessing in the past. And because even though he probably deserved this and everybody else thought he deserved this, he knew his God. He was God was gracious and forgiving and that was taken care of. You know what his focus was? I think his focus was his people and his rebellious son, Absalom. Later when he hears Absalom is killed, he cries, oh, Absalom, Absalom, Absalom. He told Joab, listen, if you catch Absalom, you be tender with that young man. He wanted restoration. Now, Joab probably did what he was supposed to do. He killed him. He was rebellious. He caused all kinds of problems. And you know what Absalom did on the wicked council of the wicked counselors are there? He went and took the concubines that David left behind to keep his house. And he said, you need to go just show how despicable your dad is to you. Just go up and sleep with his concubines right there in front of Israel. So they set up a tent right on top of the palace. And everybody knew 
he despised his father. But David said, Lord, arise, save me, O oh my God. And he knew that in the past, God had smitten all of his enemies on the cheek as he had fought many battles and many wars and been chased by Saul and threatened by Saul. God had preserved him. That is a result of trials in our life when our focus is the Lord. Romans 5, we know that tribulation works patience. What is that? The ability to endure the trial. And patience experience, what's so special about that experience is that you've been there before. God is faithful, he'll bring you through. And it may not be the same as he did before, but God is always open to hear the cries of his children. He said, you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to us. God gets all the glory for our salvation. We don't get any credit for that. Your blessing be upon your people. It's amazing things. Charles Spurgeon said this about thy blessing is upon thy people. Divine, discriminating, distinguishing, eternal, infinite, immutable love is a subject for constant adoration. Pause my soul at this Selah and consider thine own interest in the salvation of God. And if by humble faith thou art enabled to see Jesus as thine by his own free gift, if this greatest of all blessings be upon thee, rise up and sing. Rise, my soul, adore and wonder. Ask, O oh, why such love to me? Grace, grace hath put me in the number of salvation's family. Hallelujah. Thanks eternal to thee. God is always open to the cry of lost people and his children. Anyone, no matter what great sin condition or background you come from, God is open to hear, God be merciful to me, a sinner. God always takes care. He knows every detail of our lives and he encourages us clear back in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. What does that mean? You take everything to God. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious for anything, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the God of all peace will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But how often do we just carry it ourselves when we can just go to him? And Satan comes along and he pokes you in the ribs and he accuses you, yep, you deserve this. God's not going to help you in this. You've got to get it out of yourself. You've got to get out of this one yourself. And that's a lie. God is always delivering his people. And you know what's so amazing about this psalm? Is the one that delivered us was not delivered. Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, under great stress of the thought that he was going to be separated from his father because of our sin and the wrath of God was going to be poured out upon him on the cross, sweat as it were, great drops of blood. He took my place, he took your place, not because of his sin, not because he deserved it, because we deserved it. And from 12 o'clock noon as Jesus hung on the cross until three o'clock in the afternoon, God turned his back on his only begotten son. And the wrath of God was poured out. Jesus endured hell right there at Golgotha for three hours. 
He took my sin and your sin. He took the wrath that was due us because God is a holy God. He's a just God. He poured his wrath out upon the Savior. And Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God didn't listen. Our cries always reach the Father's ear. He always cares, but he turned his back on his son so that he could always listen to us. And the Pharisees and the lost religious leaders walked in front of the cross, shaking their heads and sticking out their chins, saying, God's not going to help him. And that was the truth. He saved others. He can't save himself because he was there saving us. Where are you at today? Are you in a trial, beloved? You belong to the Lord and you just feel like you're all by yourself? That is the best place to be. Look to the Lord. Say, Lord, you see my situation. Take note of those. I got no help from anybody, but Lord, you, you are my shield. You're my glory. Lift my head. But some of you today may be outside of God's protection because you're outside of grace and you don't know him. The Bible says, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus' invitation is coming to me, all you that are labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, on you learn from me, and you'll find rest for your souls. The invitation is available. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We're so thankful that salvation belongs to you. And Lord, every day as your people, we experience your blessing in your leadership, your protection, your provision. Lord, and as you speak to our hearts, you lead us tenderly as a shepherd leads his lambs. Lord, I pray that we let go of our, our own protection to just trust in you. Give us moldable hearts, molded to your word and to your will that we might become a reflection of grace. Even in the midst of this trial, as David was praying for Absalom, that we might have that attitude about those that are rising up against us because you had that attitude about us, Father. You showed us grace, your enemies. And while we were yet sinners, you died for us. We thank you for your redemption. As we gather around the table, Lord, I pray that you might be blessed in our worship. In Jesus' name. Amen.